When reading The Lord of the Rings, one is struck, or at least this reader was, by a sense of the numinous. The reader feels a connection to another world. And not just because the world of the novel is called Middle-earth, or because some characters are elves or goblins. Such elements are expected in fantasy novels. But Tolkien has not only transported the reader into the fiction, the fictional world of Middle-earth, he also connects them to a world beyond Middle-earth, a world only glimpsed by the characters in the novel, yet somehow glimpsed by the reader as well. One of the ways Tolkien does this is by the use of divination and prophecy, elements which are common to many works of fantasy literature, but used here to a masterful effect. Hey there, Tolkieners. I'm Danny J. And I'm Joel N. And welcome back to Keep On Tolkien. We are very excited today to bring you episode two of the Doom Trilogy. Yeah, guys, get ready for this one. Episode two, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, we chose to cover Tolkien's concept of Doom in three simple parts. One being oaths. We already covered that last week. Prophecies is this week. And next week shall be... Curses. Curses. We're really excited about curses. That one's going to be super fun, so, you know, stay, stay tuned. tuned. This week, we're going to be talking about prophecies. Indeed. So let's start with the uh, just a simple definition of prophecy. A prophecy is defined as a statement that something will happen in the future, especially one made by someone with religious or magic powers. Yeah, so prophecies tend to be, they also tend to have a very strong effect on doom, similar to oaths. Yeah. Although I'd say that prophecies probably have a stronger effect on, yeah, on we were, doom than more so than oaths did. We were just talking about that, actually, yes. I would agree that these that uh, prophecies are stronger. Yeah, I mean, prophecies, they essentially dictate doom. Yeah. And this can be someone's personal doom or the doom of an entire population. Like, prophecies can affect wide swaths of people. Indeed, indeed. And prophecies can also seal somebody's doom in a very specific way. And we see this play out famously on a, several occasions that we'll get into on today's episode. Yeah. So today's list will cover much of the major prophecies that are the main driving forces throughout much of Tolkien's legendarium. Yeah, there are a lot of prophecies throughout Tolkien and everything he's written. So we're, we're not going to be able to cover all of them. No, but here's a, a good handful of them. Yeah, we came up with about uh, 13 or so. So let's get into it right in the first stage. What do we yeah. have? Starting off early on. So the very first like major prophecy that a lot of you are probably thinking of, this is probably the biggest prophecy in all of Tolkien's legendarium, is the Doom of Mandos. Oh yeah, for sure. This is one of the biggest ones, if not the biggest. So this is referred to as also called the Doom of the Noldor, the Curse of Mandos, or the Prophecy of the North. Indeed. And this was pronounced to the Noldor in response to their kinslaying at Elquilande. After the kinslaying, the Noldor made their way north to the borders of the wasteland called Aramon. Yeah, we've talked about this a few times in past episodes. This was a huge point in history for all of Middle-earth, really. Yeah. Um, so the Doom of Mandos, this prophecy that, that is given, this concerns the future of the Noldor rebellion, specifically the Noldor who are leaving Amon. Mm -hmm. They're leaving Valinor. Straight to go up back rebellion. to Middle Earth. Yeah. yeah. 
And it warns the Noldor if they continue their rebellion, things that they will find, Joel. They will have to endure endless war and suffering for all of the Noldor. They will be shut out of Valinor forever. The Valar will never help them in their struggle against Melkor. All of their good accomplishments in the meantime will then turn evil. Many of the Noldor will be slain. And they will straight never obtain the treasures that they seek, which includes, but not limited to, the Silmarils. And we have a uh, rather long excerpt here about the proclamation of the Doom of Mandos. So we're going to split this excerpt between the two of us. Double team it. Double team. We couldn't not do the whole excerpt. It was too... It was too juicy. It was too juicy. After they had marched for a great while in the unmeasured night... They came at length to the northern confines of the guarded realm, upon the borders of the empty wastes of Araman, which were mountainous and cold. There they beheld suddenly a dark figure standing high upon a rock that looked down upon the shore. Some say it was Mandos himself and no lesser herald of Manway. And they heard a loud voice, solemn and terrible, that bade them stand and give ear. Then all halted and stood still, and from the end to the end of the host of the Noldor, the voice was heard speaking the curse and the prophecy, which is called the prophecy of the North, and the doom of the Noldor. Much it foretold in dark words, which the Noldor understood not, until the woes indeed after befell them. But all heard the curses that were uttered, upon those that would not stray or seek the doom and pardon of the, Ma- of the Valar. Tears unnumbered ye shall shed. And all the Valar will fence Valinor against you, Valinor against you, and shut you out, so that not even the echo of your lamentation shall pass over the mountains. On the house of Feanor, the wrath of the Valar lieth from east unto the uttermost west, and upon all that will follow them it shall be laid also. Their oath shall drive them, and yet betray them, and ever snatch away the very treasures that they have sworn to pursue. To evil ends shall all things turn, that they begin well, and by treason of kin unto kin, and the fear of treason, shall this come to pass. The disposed shall they be for ever. Ye have spilled the blood of your kindred, unrighteously, and have stained the land of Amman. For blood ye shall render blood, and beyond Amman ye shall dwell in death's shadow. For though Eru appointed to you to die not in Ea, and no sickness may assail you, yet slain you may be, and slain ye shall be, by weapon, and by torment, and by grief." and your houseless spirits shall come then to Mandos. There long shall ye abide, and year for your body, and yearn for your bodies, and find little pity, though all whom ye have slain should entreat for you. And those that endure Middle-earth, and come not to Mandos, shall grow weary of the world, as with great burden, and shall wane, and become as shadows of regret." before the younger race that cometh after. The Valar have spoken. Yeesh. Yes, they have. And that's from the Silmarillion, Chapter 9, The Flight of the Noldor. Yeah, so like we mentioned earlier, this was in response to the Noldor Rebellion, we called it, because they're trying to flee Valinor, and in their flight, they actually ended up trying to kill some of their own elves, right? 
in mm-hmm. the in the kinslaying. So yeah, they murdered a whole bunch of them. So in the immediate aftermath of the pronouncement, a handful of the people there, specifically those under the uh, rule of Fenarfin, Fenarfin, yeah, they repented of the deeds and the kinslaying, and they all turned back and they returned to the city of Tyrion. And Fenarfin becomes the High King of the Noldor that stayed in Valinor. Indeed. So, how did this one get fulfilled? Yeah, to see this particular prophecy play out, you all you have to do is read the entire Silmarillion. Yeah, really, it's that simple. Yeah, this is one of the biggest prophecies in all of Tolkien because it is essentially... The main driving force. The main driving force for the entirety of the Quenta Silmarillion. The, yeah. The, the, basically, the story of the Quenta Silmarillion is fulfilling this prophecy to the end. Yeah. So this prophecy, it foretells the, the death of the majority of the Noldor that are going to rebel. Yeah. And there's multiple reasons for this. Like, they're going to end up doing a number of things that, that kill off a lot of the Noldor. Yeah. So what are some of the major... <laughs> Noldor killers, Joel. So the first the and foremost, <laughs> the crossing of the Hellcarax. Yeah. So in a previous episode, we talked about this and didn't like hundreds, if not thousands yeah, of people Yeah, like thousands die? of them died. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a big deal. This is essentially them crossing their version of the Bering Strait yeah. to get back to Middle-earth. And it was not fun. What else killed a bunch of elves but five <laughs> major battles of Beleriand that the Noldor took part in? Yeah, also known as the War of the Jewels. Yep. All of them combined, only two of them are winning, too. Yeah, that was these five major battles, basically a direct response or a direct effect of the oath of Feanor that we talked about in the last episode. The most terrible of oaths. The most terrible of oaths. It basically led to them swearing that they will follow Melkor and try to fight him anywhere he goes all the time. And that leads to these five major battles, which kills a ton of Noldor. Yeah. It also leads to the death of the majority, the majority of the Noldor royalty, with the ex- well, all of them actually, with the exception of Maglor and Galadriel. Yeah, notable dead people. We've got Feanor himself. Yeah, we got uh, Fingolfin and Fingon. And of course, Finrod Feligund, the beloved. And then we got uh, Turgon as well, King Turgon of Gondolin. And then we got, like we said, six of the seven sons of Feanor. Yeah, and those are just. <laughs> some of the main characters from that house yep. the the sons of Feanor alone kill so many more people mm-hmm. but yeah so that that prophecy is the doom of mandos one of the biggest prophecies in all of tolkien it plays out through the entire silmarillion there are so many events that are directly take place because of this prophecy and and it is huge and it ends to the death it ends in the death of many oh yeah it's big it's big it's big news Mm-hmm. But uh, we have another prophecy on this list by Mandos as well. Yeah, and this one is this one's going to be fun, guys. Buckle up for this one. Yeah. This so the second prophecy, second prophecy on our list is called the second prophecy of Mandos. Believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a naming scheme. Wouldn't you have it? Um, and that so it's concerning what is known as the Dagor Daggerath, which is Sindarin for Battle of All Battles. Yeah, and this is uh, the last battle, essentially, between Morgoth and the Valar that takes place at the end of the world. And the things that'll happen within this, the world will be destroyed and rebuilt. It's essentially Tolkien's version of Ragnarok, so we got good versus evil once and for all. Right, destruction and rebuilding of the world, very similar. And yeah, after this, the world will be remade again into a new world, a new era. Yeah. And 
This prophecy, some of you may not have heard of it because it's it's a little controversial. It's a little bit controversial, and I said it's it's only canon in our hearts, and only in our hearts, because the second prophecy of Mandos was actually omitted from newer drafts of the Silmarillion by Chris Tolkien himself. Yeah, the it was really only found in some of the original versions, original drafts of the Silmarillion. But the reason it was deleted was because of a single line that. Christopher Tolkien found in his father's writings. And this can be found, this uh, particular passage that Christopher found, uh, you can find it in the History of Middle-Earth series, Volume 10, Morgoth's Ring. And it goes as follows. If any change shall come, and the marring of Arda be amended, Manway and Varda may know, but they have not revealed it, and it is not declared in the dooms of Mandos. So Christopher took this line kind of literally, meaning that he thinks his father would have deleted the second prophecy in the finished version. But I don't know. Personally, we love the second prophecy. I mean, I think it really rounds the whole Silmarillion off really well. Yeah, and the controversy gets a little deeper here after. We'll read you this the uh, the quote first. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll cover this prophecy first. We've got an excerpt that about this prophecy itself. What is the prophecy? Thus spoke Mandos in prophecy. When the Valar sat in judgment in Valinor, and the rumor of his word was whispered among all the elves of the West, when the world is old and the powers have grown weary, Morgoth, the black foe of the world, seeing that the guard sleepeth, shall come back through the door of night out of the timeless void, and all shall be darkness, for the sun will be turned to black, and the moon will no longer shed his light. But the hosts of Valinor shall descend upon him as a searing flame, white and terrible. Then shall the last battle be gathered on the fields of Valinor. In that day, Tulkas shall strive with Morgoth, and on his right hand shall be Eonwe, and on his left, Turin Turambar, son of Hurin, returning from the doom of men at the ending of the world. And the black sword of Turin shall deal unto Morgoth his death and final end and so shall the children of hurin and all fallen men be avenged therefore shall the earth be broken and remade and the silmarils shall be recovered out of air and earth and sea for feanor shall surrender them willingly and yavanna rekindle the two trees and a great light shall come forth and the mountains of valinor shall be leveled so that the light shall go out over all of the world in that light, the Valar will grow young again, and the elves awake, and all their dead arise, and the purpose of Ilavatar be fulfilled concerning them. But of men in that day the prophecy of Mandos doth not speak, and no man it names save Turin only, and to him a place is given among the sons of the Valar. And that, of course, can be found in the History of Middle-Earth, The Lost Road and Other Writings, Book 5, Part 2, Chapter 6, The yeah. Quintus Silmarillion. So that is the second prophecy of Mandos. It's basically the prophecy prophesizing what is known as the Dagor Dagorath, the final battle. And so here's the thing, right? We just covered that it was omitted 
by Christopher Tolkien, correct? Yeah, and we, we, we quoted that little reference in Tolkien's note that he found. But here's the thing. It's also still mentioned in several occasions in the published version of the Silmarillion. Yeah, in the rest of the Silmarillion. Yeah. It's mentioned several times throughout. It really feels like it should be there. And this leads to the subject of its canonity, canonity fun word, to be highly debated among Tolkieners today. Yeah, although it was omitted, it is still mentioned. Three like times. Said, mentioned. And those three times are, first of all, in the Silmarillion, the chapter called of Aule and Yuvana, so it's towards the beginning of the Silmarillion, it's mentioned that the dwarves would rebuild the earth after the, quote, last battle. And again, in the Silmarillion, and of the upcoming of the elves and the captivity of Melkor, it is mentioned that the constellation Menelmakar the swordsman of the sky forebodes quote, quote the last battle the last battle and then again in the silmarillion toward the end in the uh, calabeth it's mentioned that the numenorians the uh, ones that tried to assault valinor mm-hmm. they're trapped in the caves of the forgotten until quote the last battle and the day of doom end quote so we'll leave it up to you guys how canon you think this shit is. Yeah, Christopher made the executive decision to take it out of latter versions of the ho- of the Silmarillion, but I, honestly, I, I'm one that I, I think it should be canon. I think it should be canon too, and that's that's going to be our call uh, the Keep on Tolkien podcast. Yeah, it, it is of our opinions that the second Doom of Mandos is canon, but that's, you know. That's just us. To each their own, you know. You know, you know. Let's get into some more prophecies, dude. Yeah, so let's let's move past the the prophecies of Mando. So some some more prophecies during the first age uh, are uh, prop are popularly uh, spoken by Melian. Yes, Melian makes many prophecies. So who, let's just recap a little bit. Who is Melian? She's a Maiar that mostly takes the form of an elf maiden, and she spent most of, much uh, much of her time in the forests of Beleriand. And there, in those forests, is where she meets an elf who is at this point known as Elway, and they fall in love. And the couple later get married, and they rule the elves of Beleriand as Queen Melian and King Thingol of yeah. Doriath. Yeah, yeah. And she's regarded as one of the wisest characters in all of the friggin' Legendarium. Seriously. She has the gift of foresight, and she makes more than a handful of prophecies, and uh, a lot of them are in the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. And also... Often disregarded by friggin' everybody. Yeah, she's the person who, like, you would want to have around. Yeah, she, listen she, to Melian. She uses her gift of foresight probably more than any other character in Tolkien's Legendarium, like, ever. Yeah. And for whatever reason, she's, like... little the, heated. Yeah, she's the one who's, like, the most widely disregarded. Like, people are just like, eh, what the fuck do you know? Yeah, you just whatever, Melian. spew out, like, a prophecy a day, you know, whatever. You're always talking shit. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the prophecies that Melian makes is her prediction of war coming to Beleriand. Yeah, this is big because it's in a very, uh, this is uh, when the captivity of Melkor is about to end. So this is a very peaceful time throughout Arda. Yeah, so this is when the peace of Middle-earth is about to end and she realizes that there is need for a wartime fortress. So during the second age of the captivity of Melkor, uh, when it's coming up on the end of his captivity, she predicts that uh, the peace isn't going to last, and uh, there's going to be war coming, and Thingol essentially orders the delving of their kingdom, Menegroth. Yeah, Menegroth. Everybody knows Menegroth, the Thousand Caves, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's where he is. That's, that's his palace. And we've got an excerpt about this here, read by Senor Danny. 
Now Melian had much foresight after the manner of the Maiar, and when the second age of the captivity of Melkor had passed, she counseled Thingol that the peace of Arda would not last forever. He took thought, therefore, how he should make for himself a kingly dwelling, and a place that should be strong, if evil were to awake again in Middle-earth. And he sought aid in the, the aid and counsel of the dwarves of Belagos, the Naugrim. They labored long and gladly for Thangal, and devised for him mansions after the fashion of their people delved deep in the earth, where the river Esgaldewin flowed down and parted the forests of Neldereth and Regian. There rose in the midst of a forest a rocky hill, and the river ran at its feet. There they made the gates of the hall of Thingol, and they built a bridge of stone over the river by which along the gates could be entered. Beyond the gates, wide passages ran down to high halls and chambers far below that were hewn in the living stone, so many and so great that the dwelling was named Menegroth the Thousand Caves. Hell yeah, if there was ever a place I could go to live in Beleriand, it'd probably be Menegroth. Yeah, Menegroth would be super, super freaking cool. Because not only is it, it's carved like a dwarven city, which mm-hmm. would be cool for you, you'd love that shit. Hell yeah. But it's made to fit elves, mm-hmm. so like, it's we, also we'd be fine there. It's also within the girdle of Melian, so it's yeah, safe. Yeah, nothing is ever going to happen to you, yeah. But also, they don't have the rules in Gondolin where you have to stay there till you die. You yeah, can kind of come and go. Yeah, you can come and go. As so, long as you have a leave of the king, you can pass through the girdle of the Melian, yeah. like, whatever. Yeah, so that'd be a sweet place to, to, to live. So, yes, yeah, so the fulfillment of this prophecy, uh, the Naldor did eventually come to Middle-earth, and with them, they bring their never-ending war with Melkor, and Menegroth must become a stronghold, and it does. It yeah. becomes the stronghold of uh, King Thingol throughout the wars of Valerian. One of the times you can say that they actually took Melian's advice, and it's good they did. Yeah, and complete with gir- uh, Melian's Girdle of Melian, it was one of the most well-protected places in all of Valerian. Yeah, so pretty important to listen to Melian. Uh, another prophecy of Melian's. So this prophecy predicts that there will be one who will infiltrate the Girdle of Melian. And that is to say, someone who is there without the leave of King Thingol. But somehow, because of their doom and the power of doom, they will be able to make it through. Yes, indeed. So who is this concerning? This is concerning Baron, son of Bear here, penel- penel- uh, finally penetrating the Girdle of Melian and coming into Doriath. So what is the Girdle of Melian? Let's talk about that a little bit. A little bit more in depth. So the girdle was basically a magical barrier that surrounds the entirety of the kingdom of Doriath. It allowed no one to enter, like we said, without the uh, permission of King Thingol. It was maintained by the power of Melian the Maya, and it would last until the year 502 of the First Age. And that's essentially when Melian departs Middle-earth after the death of the king. And Melian, she has this prediction, this prophecy, that someone's going to make their way through it. And we got Joel to read the excerpt of that. Therefore, King Thingol commanded that men should take no lands to dwell in, save in the north, and that the princes for whom they served should be answerable for all that they did. And he said, Into Doriath shall no man come while my realm lasts, not even those of the house of Beor, who serve Finrod the Beloved. Melian said nothing to him at that time, but afterwards she said to Galadriel, Now the world runs on swiftly to great tidings, and one of men, even of Beor's house, shall indeed come, and the girdle of Melian shall not restrain him, for doom greater than my power shall send him, 
and the songs that shall spring from that coming shall endure when all Middle-earth is changed. And that, of course, is from the Silmarillion, chapter 17, of the coming of men into the West. Yeah, so this is essentially, like we mentioned, it's this foretelling of the coming of Baron into yeah. Doriath, where he will eventually meet Luthien. Yeah, and that, and that happened in 464 of the first stage. He made his way through the girdle, met Luthien, daughter of Melian and Thingol, and they, of course, fall in love. Greatest love story ever told, right? It is one of the greatest love stories ever told. It's also pretty dark. So, essentially, Baron, after they fall in love, Baron is brought before King Thingol, and uh, he's essentially going to ask for the hand of Luthien in marriage. But this uh, this kind of leads us into our, our next prophecy, too. Yes. So, Melian said that sending Baron for the Silmaril would lead to the ruin of Doriath. Yeah. So when Baron comes before Thingol to ask for Luthien's hand in marriage, uh, King Thingol kind of claps back by saying, yeah, you can marry if you go on this quest for Silmaril. Yeah, this simple quest for the Silmaril. <laughs> the Silmaril from Morgoth's Iron Crown. He essentially just wanted to send him on a death quest. He didn't want it to happen. But Melian warns Thingol that now he has ensnared himself and the kingdom of Doriath in the Oath of Feanor, and that's uh, that's never a good idea. Not a good idea. And, yeah, this, and she said it could ultimately lead to the destruction of Doriath. Yeah, going for one of those Silmarils, she's basically just saying you'd better be better off leaving it all alone. But uh, we've got an excerpt about this prophecy here, read by Mr. Danny. Then at last Melian spoke and said to Thingol, O king, you have devised cunning counsel. But if my eyes have not lost their sight, it is ill for you, whether Baron fail in his errand or achieve it, for you have doomed either your daughter or yourself, and now is Doriath drawn within the fate of a mightier realm. Yeah, she gives it to him straight. And uh, so this uh, this prophecy eventually becomes fulfilled now because uh, Baron does indeed return and give a Silmaril to Thingol. He completes his quest. And Silmaril gets, uh, Thingol gets one of those Silmarils. Yeah, that sweet, sweet Silmaril. And for more on that, check out our Baron and Luthien character profile. That's way back in season one, eight, and that was episodes eight and nine. Yeah, so at this point, Thingol has a Silmaril. And what does he do with it? He has it set within a beautiful necklace known as the Now Glamir. And this, of course, leads directly to his murder <laughs> by the dwarves. Yeah, the Nauglamir, it existed before the Silmaril. It was kind of a dwarven necklace. Mm-hmm. And he just had them basically put the Silmaril into that necklace. So the dwarves loved it, and they really wanted it, and they killed him for it. Yeah, they killed him for it. And this leads to the subsequent first sacking of Doriath in the yeah. year 503 of the First Age. Yes. And uh, so the Nauglamir is eventually returned to Doriath. It's taken by the dwarves. But this uh, also leads to Doriath being sacked a second time in 506, three years <laughs> later. This is when uh, Baron and Luthien's son Dior is slain, when the, the sons of Feanor come to get what's theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Melian was right, man. Including yourself in this whole oath, getting a Silmaril and then getting yourself tangled up in this oath, not good. Yeah. Now Doriath has been up. sacked twice. <laughs> And within uh, three years of each yeah, other. Yeah, within three years. Like, what the hell? So uh, Elwing, the daughter of uh, King Dior at the time, 
Uh, Elwing survives the second sacking of Doriath, and she flees to the haven, the havens of Sirion. And at this point in the first age, the havens of Sirion is kind of like a the refugee camp. It's for, like for yeah. refugees. It's where Kirdan, the motherfucking shipwright, hung, yep. hangs out. And yep. Naturally, refugees go to him because he's the shit. Mm-hmm. If you need safety, go to Kirdan, bro. Go to Kirdan. He'll he's take, stable. Take care of you. The guy everybody trusts. Kirdan, the motherfucking shipwright, shafted. Shafted. So another. Uh, prophecy of Melian's. Uh, this is going to be the last of her prophecies that we mention, uh, but this is the prophecy surrounding the sword Anglicel. Of course, of course. And this concerns Beleg Cuthalion and the sword Anglicel, like we said. And this is in the tale of the children of Hurin. Yeah, so when Turin, in that tale, uh, when Turin flees Doriath after the death of Cyros, he thinks he's going to get in trouble. He runs off, leaves Doriath, and he befriends uh, a band of outlaws. And that's yeah. just kind of where Why he not? spends a lot of his life. And his best friend back in Doriath, the elf known as Beleg, he seeks King Thingol's leave to uh, leave the kingdom and go join Turin to ensure his safety because he loves the man. And of course, Beleg asks uh, Thingol for the only thing he wants in return is a sword that's worth a damn. Yeah, King Thingol grants him this request and allows him to take any sword that Thingol has, save his own sword, Aaron Ruth. And Belek goes into his stores and chooses the amazing, the very special, the black blade known as Anglicel that he had in his stores. The only black blade in there. Yeah, and uh, Anglicel was uh, one of two swords made from the black meteoric iron by Aeol the Dark Elf. And also, if you guys want to know all about these friggin' swords, check out our Artifact Swords episode, right? Yeah, check out the Artifacts episode. Swords. Hell yeah. We cover this uh, this sword specifically because it's a very important sword in the Legendarium. Yeah, made by a known piece of shit. Yeah, Aeol the Dark Elf, unknown piece of shit. And that kind of affects the sword in the long run. Indeed. So Beleg, when he chooses this blade, Melian has a warning for him. And Joel's going to read this, this uh, ominous warning. But as Thingol turned the hilt of Anglicel towards Beleg, Melian looked at the blade, and she said, There is malice in this sword. The dark heart of the smith still dwells in it. It will not love the hand it serves. Neither will it abide with you long. But of course, like many things that Melian says, it is ultimately ignored by everyone. <laughs> Why does everyone just, like, disregard her fucking advice? Yeah, I don't know, dude. And, yeah, so Bellic takes a sword anyway. Poo-poo on you, 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 uh, takes it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and this sword does lead to a lot of woe. Yeah, let's see how this one's fulfilled. Let's see how this fucking works out. Yeah, so after uh, Turin is captured by some orcs and they're trying to take him back to Angban, Beleg tracks down this band of orcs and uh, with his help of his new pal Gwyndor, Unsung hero! Unsung hero! Him and Beleg, they attempt to free Turin from his bonds one night and uh, they're you know trying to be quiet and they're using this yeah. black sword and uh, Beleg is <laughs> trying to cut his bonds but Beleg, uh, the blade slips and accidentally cuts Turin's foot. And Wouldn't you know it? And Turin, being uh, the crazy fighter and shit that he is, he wakes up and wrestles the sword from Beleg and runs him through with it without knowing what the fuck is going on. Yeah, he thought the orcs were back to torment him or something. And then I think they say, what? In the, what is it in the story? And, and there's a flash of lightning. Yeah, there's a flash of lightning, and then he sees the face of his murdered friend underneath his own sword. His best friend. Yeah, traumatizing. Yeah, you should have 
swapped it out for a different blade, bro. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. But that's the last of Melian's prophecies we're getting into. Uh, the next prophecy on our list is Finrod's prophecy. Yeah, and this one's concerning Finrod Feligan's legacy and the fate of the kingdom of Nargothrond. Yeah, so Finrod basically has a uh, a moment of foreknowledge, and he foresees that he will be taking an oath in the future. We actually talked about this oath previously. Yes, we did, and last week, actually, check it out. In the During the early part of the First Age, Nargothrond had just been finished, and the sons of Finarfin and their sister Galadriel had come to chill at Finrod's new pad. Yeah, and this is when there's a conversation between Finrod and Galadriel, and Finrod just drops this prophecy. And we've got a uh, excerpt about this, read by Danny. It came to pass that Nargothrond was full wrought, and the sons of Finarfin were gathered there to a feast. And Galadriel came from Doriath and dwelt for a while in Nargothrond. Now King Finred Fulligund had no wife, and Galadriel asked him why this should be. But foresight came upon Fulligund as she spoke, and he said, An oath I too shall swear and must be free to fulfill it, and go into darkness. Nor shall anything of my realm endure that a son should inherit. But it is said that not until that hour had such a cold thoughts ruled him, for indeed she whom he had loved was Amarie of the Vanyar, and she went not with him into exile. Yeah, it's kind of a sad story. Yeah, the Amarie story. Yeah, she didn't come. Yeah, he had a girlfriend over in Valinor. Yeah, he wasn't originally going to go into exile with the Noldor. He wasn't going to follow Feanor and them leaving Valinor, but he, he did for his people, and uh, his lover didn't go with him. Yeah. So he never took a wife, and he had this prophecy that he uh, wasn't ever going to marry for the reasons of this coming oath. So fulfillment of this prophecy. Uh, so ultimately, Felgun did indeed make an oath to Berhir of the House of Beor, and that was during the Dagor Bragalock. And this oath indeed uh, did end his life, and this happened uh, during the quest for the Silmaril. And of course, he died defending Baron in the dungeons of Tol Sirion, the, the tower he himself had made. Yep, Baron being Berhir's son, fulfilling his oath to Baron and Berhir. And also, this did lead in did indeed lead to the fall of Nargothrond when it was sacked by the dragon Glaurung in First Age four ninety five. Yeah, so there was nothing left for a son to inherit. Nothing at all. Yeah, so that was a rather sad prophecy because uh, Finrod Felgund, he's known as Finrod the Beloved because everyone loves Finrod. Everybody loves Finrod. So the next prophecy we have on our list. So we've got a couple prophecies surrounding the hound known as Huon. Huon. So Huon is Huon. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> so who is Huon? <laughs> so for those, uh, for a refresher, Huon is a sentient wolfhound gifted to the son of Feanor, Kelogorm. And this gift was given to Kelogorm by the Valar Orome. Back when they all lived in the Blessed Realm together. So yeah, when everything Huan was a, cool. Yeah, when everything was cool. So, wolf, <laughs> so Huon is essentially like a sentient wolfhound of Valinor. Yeah, dude, He's a bred by Orome himself. Big old dog. So one of the things that is said about Huon, the prophecies, is that he will be permitted to speak three times, and only three times, in his life with words. It specifically says he understands all spoken words, but he only gets to speak three times. And we got a little excerpt read by Joel about that. Luthien spoke often to Huon in her captivity, telling him of Baron, who was the friend of all birds and beasts that did not serve Morgoth, 
and Huan understood all that was said, for he comprehended the speech of all things with voice, but it was only permitted to him thrice ere his death to speak with words. And this, de- this is indeed fulfilled, so let's go through the three times that he gets to speak. Yeah, so the first time Huan is permitted to speak is during the quest for the Silmaril, uh, when Luthien is captured by Huan's master, Kelogorm, and Kelogorm's asshole brother, Kurofin. <laughs> yeah, that, that asshole. Huan takes pity on Luthien and speaks to her, revealing to her a way for them to escape. Yeah, clutch time to speak for the first time. Thanks. Yeah, like, hey, let's make a plan, get you up, bust <laughs> you out of here. And the second time is also kind of a similar occasion. Uh, this is during the quest for the Silmaril. Huan speaks and reveals a plan that he has to enter Angband. And what was that plan? This is a clutch plan. Okay, so he talks to Baron and Luthien at this point about a plan he came up with for them to essentially wear the corpses of Draugluin, the werewolf uh, captain, and Theringwethel, the vampire captain lady yeah yeah and they'll basically sneak in to angban while wearing their skins yeah dude fucking bad ass this is some early fairy tale (laughs) shit right here and okay so uh sadly the third time is when uh he spoke to baron and luthien to say farewell upon his death yeah it was basically so the third time he could speak would be on his deathbed and he does and we got some more concerning actually uh um his death as yeah. Well. So another prophecy surrounding Huan is basically a product of Huan being entangled in the oath of Feanor. So basically, Huan follows his uh, master Kelgorm into exile after Kelgorm takes the oath. Yeah. So the oath is sort of now applied to Huan. Because yeah, he's sentient. Yep. And so now there is this prophecy that said that. Uh, well, you know what? Let's just, just read it. Let's let's have Danny let's have Danny read yeah. an excerpt to you about this prophecy. Yeah. Huan followed Kelligorm into exile and was faithful, and thus he too came under the doom of woe set upon the Noldor, and it was decreed that he should meet death, but not until he encountered the mightiest wolf that would ever walk the world. Yeah. Yeah. So this prophecy is basically. Death by wolf. (laughs) Death by wolf. Eventually, Huan will be mortally wounded in combat by a giant wolf. And this comes to pass as he does engage in a crazy fucking fight with the craziest wolf ever known. And his name was Karkaroth. Karkaroth. Yeah, and that's it. That's pretty much how it was. Uh, it played out, and Huan did his part in gaining of the Silmaril. Yay! Yeah, that was that was huge. His uh, killing Karkaroth and helping them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let's get into a set of prophecies here. Yeah, another set of prophecies. This one. And they're all concerning a pretty cool-ass dude that we all like quite a bit. Eorendil. Eorendil, son of Huor. No, I'm sorry, Tuor. Tuor and Idril. And Idril, yeah. yes. Uh, so there's actually a number of prophecies surrounding Eorendil. And this makes sense as Eorendil is kind of a linchpin character in the story of the Quintus Silmarillion. Yeah, he's probably the most prophesized character in all of Tolkien. Yeah, and both his existence and his deeds are foretold by several prophecies. So let's get into the first one, made by his grandfather, Huor. Huor. So his grandfather, Huor. This prophecy was made by his grandfather during the Nathar Nordiad, the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Such a fun occasion to be making prophecies. 
So the tide of the battle had gone bad for the elves and the men, the Adain, and uh, Turgon had opened the leaguer of Gondolin and brought with him all of his forces. Yeah, he brought, he was stacked, and it was a huge deal that they were even there. So after the High King of the, at the time, Fingon, is slain on the battlefield by Gothmog, it becomes pretty evident that the battle is lost, and they're not gonna—they're not gonna win this. And uh, thinking that Gondolin will fall if it's discovered, obviously, is kind of the whole thing about Gondolin, right? It's a secret city. The captains of men, of, the captains of the men of Dorlomen, convince Turgon that he must leave in order to uh, keep his realm hidden from Morgoth. Yeah, they assume that basically, while his kingdom is hidden, there's still hope. And those men of Dorlomen, of course, are Huin and Hu, Hurin and Huor. Of the house of Hador. So Huor speaks with Turgon and makes his prophecy about the future of Gondolin and both of their lineages. And Joel's got a fantastic excerpt about that. Yet if it stands but a little while, then out of your house shall come the hope of the elves and men. This I say to you, Lord, with the eyes of death, though we part here forever, and I shall not look on your white walls again. From you and from me, a new star shall arise. Yeah, yeah, and how is this one fulfilled? So, this is fulfilled uh, years after the Battle of Gondolin. Gondolin is kept secret from Morgoth. Yeah, and in the year uh, First Age, 496, Tuor, son of Huor, becomes the third man of the House of Hador to make his way into the hidden city with the help of his pal, Veronwe. Yeah, and here is when Tuor finds favor on, among most in the city, Except, of course, Maglin and his merry band of assholes that follow him around. Blah. But uh, Tuor eventually falls in love with Edril, daughter of the King Turgon, and they marry in the year 502 of the First Age. Yeah. In the very next year, they have a son, Eorendil. Eorendil. Who is, you guessed it, the grandson of Huor and Turgon. Prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy fulfilled. <laughs> So let's, let's, let's talk. So that's his existence, right? There's one talking about his existence. The next two kind of talk about the deeds of Eärendil. Yes. So the next couple prophecies. First one being Gwyndor's prophecy. Unsung so, hero. Unsung hero. Gwyndor. So <laughs> in the Children of Húrin, chapter ten, Túrin and Nargothrond, uh, Gwyndor has a little line that he says to Túrin. It is a prophecy among us. That one day a messenger from Middle-earth will come through the shadows to Valinor, and Manwe will hear, and Mandos relent. Again, yeah, this proves that the idea of a messenger sent to Valinor to ask pardon of the Valar was already a well-known prophecy. Yeah, at the very least among the elves of Nargothrond. Right, yeah, so prophecy of his deeds were already known. Yes. And there's another one about his deeds made uh, by friggin' Mandos himself. And this was a cool one. This is one I hadn't known previously. Me neither. You dug this one up. So in the History of Middle-Earth, Volume 10, Morgoth's Ring, uh, in the chapter Laws and, Cust and Customs Among the Eldar, Tolkien tells us about a debate that the Valar had concerning whether or not uh, King Finway should be allowed to remarry. Uh, King Finway was trying to get remarried way back during the years of the trees. Right, because his first wife uh, went all comatose but didn't quite die. Yeah, she died essentially. At, well, she kind of died, after, kinda the, died. Uh, after the birth of his first son, Feanor. But, yeah. So, yeah, the, so they were debating whether or not Finway should be allowed to remarry. And uh, Mandos, surprisingly, is in favor of letting uh, Finway remarry. Claiming that the children of Finway will have that he has with his second wife 
will be incredibly important later on. And he concludes saying what Joel's about to read right now. And from them shall spring things so fair that no tears shall dim their beauty, in whose being the Valar and the kindreds both of elves and of men that are to come shall all have part, and in whose deeds they shall rejoice. When he that shall be called Aorendil setteth foot upon the shores of Amman, ye shall remember my words. In that hour ye will not say that the statute of justice hath borne fruit only in death, and the griefs that shall come ye shall weigh in the balance, and they shall not seem too heavy compared with the rising of the light when Valinor groweth dim. Right, right. Well, and how are these two uh, prophecies fulfilled? Well, the birth of Eärendil fulfills part of the prophecy of Mandos, because he was a member of both kindreds of the children of Ilavatar, the Elves and the Udain. And in the year 542 of the First Age, Eärendil and his wife Elwing find their way to Valinor on a ship with the help of a Silmaril. And Eärendil pleads with the Valar to help the children of Ilavatar in their struggle against Morgoth in Middle-earth. Yeah, and essentially, the ultimately the Valar grant his wish, and the host of the Valar move against Morgoth in what becomes known as the War of Wrath. And this is 42 years of conflict in which it takes to overthrow Melkor. Yes, the War of Wrath is huge, and it not only sinks the entirety of Beleriand, but also brings about the end of the First Age. Yeah. And fulfills the prophecy. Yeah, yeah. So this is, we're getting into the latter part of the list here, guys. Let's get into some more, maybe some more familiar ones from the uh, the Third Age here. Yeah, some Third Age prophecies. So the uh, next prophecy on our list is a prophecy. Basically, it's Gandalf's prophecy of the Elisar Stone. Of course. This is concerning. When Gandalf, uh, when he gives the Elisar Stone to Galadriel. Yeah, so let's just touch a little bit on review what the Elisar Stone is. Right. So the Elisar Stone, it was a fabulous gem, green as leaves, but it also had the light of the sun trapped within it, it was said. And it translates to Elf Stone in Westron, so it is also, and it is also known as the Stone of Eärendil. Yeah, and this gem, this stone, it was marveled by the Noldor, and it was said that those who looked through it were able to see their withered or aged selves as whole and young again. And it was even claimed to grant some power of healing to its wearer. Yeah, ultimately the history is uh, conflicting and complex. But in one version, it was made by Celebrimbor and Eregion and given to Galadriel for safekeeping. And in another version, which I like better, that was created by in Gondolin by the famous elven smith Inerdel. Yeah, and in this version, after being created in Gondolin, it was then passed down to Eärendil, because Eärendil comes from Gondolin. Mm-hmm. who uh, then takes it on his journey to Valinor. Yeah, with the Silmaril and shit. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's really cool. So after this gem had spent some time in Valinor, upon the coming of the wizards to Middle-earth, Gandalf brings this gem back, and he uh, brings us a sign for men that the Valar have not wholly abandoned them. Yeah, and Gandalf then gives this stone to Galadriel for safekeeping until it begin- can be given to the future king, Aragorn. The Lord Aragorn, future king. And we have an excerpt about this here, read by Danny. And he held before her the Elisar, and she looked on it and wondered. And Olorin said, 
This I bring to you from Yavanna. Use it as you may for a while. You shall make the land of your dwelling the fairest place in all of Middle-earth. But it is not for you to possess. You shall hand it on when the time comes. For before you grow weary and at last forsake Middle-earth, one shall come who is to receive it, and his name shall be that of the stone. Elisar he shall be called. Yeah, so this uh, prophecy is fulfilled in the year 3019 of the Third Age when Aragorn himself, the one known as Elisar, and, of course, the, fe- the rest of the Fellowship, they come to the forest of Lothlorien. Yeah, Galadriel then gives them gifts to help them along their journey. One of the gifts she gives to Aragorn, the Elisar. Yeah, it's given to Aragorn, and uh, he bears it because he bears the same name. Yeah. And he even takes that name when he becomes king and becomes known as King Elisar. King Elisar! Yeah, so that's a that's a really hopeful prophecy, and uh, that's a that's one that we love. So let's get into another third age prophecy. This uh, is a fun one. This is a fun one. So this is Glorfindel, the elf Glorfindel, whom we all love. His prophecy regarding the Witch King of Angmar. Yeah, and this one I dare say is the cheekiest prophecy. Yeah, yeah, it's very cheeky. It is very cheeky. Mm-hmm. So in the year 1974 of the Third Age, the Northern Kingdom Arnor has fallen, and the forces of the Dúnedain and the Elves are purging the north of the forces of the Witch King. Their campaign is nearly complete when the Witch King comes forth himself. And he has some fun antagonizing Prince Aranur, which we talked about in the uh, <laughs> Unsung Heroes yeah. episode, uh, before being scared off by Glorfindel, right? Yeah, and Aranur, he, at this point, is just so fed up and pissed off. He wants to go after the Witch King. He Let's wants go. to follow this dude. Let's go! But Glorfindel stays his hand and makes this prophecy that Joel's about to read. Then the Witch King laughed, and none that heard it ever forgot the horror of that cry. But Glorfindel rode up then on his white horse, and in the midst of his laughter, the Witch King turned to flight and passed into the shadows. For a night came down on the battlefield, and he was lost, and none saw whither he went. Erinur now rode back, but Glorfindel, looking into the gathering dark, said, Do not pursue him. He will not return to this land. Far off yet his is his doom, and not by the hand of man will he fall. These words many remembered, but Aranur was angry, desiring only to be avenged for his disgrace. All right, now this this is where it gets cheeky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's look at let's look at how this one was uh, fulfilled. Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, just briefly, Aranur does pursue him, even though he shouldn't have, and ends up dying. <clears throat> yeah, fun fun little side note. Fun little yeah. side note later on. So shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. But uh, the prophecy about the uh, Witch King's doom basically comes to fruition on March 15th of 3019 of the Third Age. And this is when the Witch King of Angmar leads the Battle of Pelennor Fields. And in that battle, the Witch King tries to kill Theoden, the King Theoden of Rohan. But he is confronted by Eowyn, a woman, and Mary, a hobbit. Both uh, distinctly not man. Not man at all. Uh, so Mary is coincidentally also carrying a sword that was made in the North Kingdom during the war with Angmar that we previously referenced. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. So this blade was essentially made with the expressed purpose of countering the Witch King's dark magic. Yeah. And Mary stabs the Witch King in the leg with the sword, eliminating the Witch King's protection spells and totally destroying the sword in the process. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But this provided Eowyn with an opening to stab him in the motherfucking face, dude. (laughs) To stab him right in the fucking face. Yeah, dude. 
That I I love that. Like of all the places, she just stabs. Yeah, in the she face. drove it between. Didn't say between Helm and Hauberk or yep. something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's really gnarly. It's so great. Yeah, so that that's a pretty sweet prophecy, and I think we all love getting to watch that one be fulfilled. Oh yeah, that one's it's one of the greatest moments in the movie. It's so fucking cool. So the next prophecy we've got for you on our list is uh, the prophecies of Malbeth the Seer. Malbeth the Seer, yeah. Kind of a, a, a little character that I didn't know about, but it turns out to be pretty important. We were, yeah, we were actually going to talk about her in the Unsung Heroes episode, mm-hmm. but I expressly saved her for this episode. Yeah, because Malbeth the Seer, she's a very cool character that i didn't know much about no but she yeah she lives in the north kingdom of arthurdain and she's one of the uh royal counselors to the dunedain and essentially malbeth the seer she foretold that arvidwi would be the last king of the north until aragorn takes the paths of the dead and uh, our boy halberad unsung hero unsung uh, he referenced this prophecy in the Return of the King when he mentions to Aragorn that the sons of Elrond suggest they take the pass of the dead. Yes, and we've got a excerpt about this scene here read by Danny. This is the word that the sons of Elrond bring to me from their father in Rivendell, wisest in lore. Bid Aragorn remember the words of the seer and the pass of the dead. And what may be the words of the seer? asked Legolas. Thus spoke Melbeth the seer in the days of Arvidwi, the last king of Fornos, said Aragorn. Over the land there lies a long shadow. Westward reaching wings of darkness, the tower trembles to the tomb of kings. Doom approaches. The dead awaken, for the hour has come for the oathbreakers. At the stone of Eric they shall stand again. And hear there a horn in the hills ringing. Who shall the horn be? Who shall call them from the gray twilight? the forgotten people the heir of him to whom the oath they swore from the north shall he come need shall drive him he shall pass the doors to the paths of the dead hell yeah malbeth the seer man she's just spitting some crazy prophecies yeah crazy ones so naturally the fulfillment of this prophecy comes about on march 8th of the year 3019 of the third age and this is when as we know aragorn and the great company they take the paths of the dead. Yeah, and they call upon Aragorn calls upon the dead men of Dunharrow to fulfill their oath to Isildur to help them defend Gondor in its time of need. Yeah, this also ends up being the fastest way and the only way that they could make it through the mountains into the sea fast enough to stop the Corsairs of Umbar in time. Which is key. That key. is key. Key to winning the battle. They needed to take the paths of the dead to get there that quickly, and they needed to take the paths of the dead to call on the dead men of Dunharrow to fulfill their oath. Yeah, and they take all those Corsair ships, fill them with homies, and bring them up to Harlan to fucking fight in uh, Pelennor Fields. And as we know, if not for this, they would not have narrowly, narrowly won. Narrowly. The War of the Ring. So let's get into a kind of sad one. Yeah, another Third Age prophecy. So this is the prophecy, this is Gilrayan the Fair predicting her own death. And Gilrayan the Fair, she was the mother of Aragorn. Uh, Gilbrain and Aragorn actually lived together in Rivendell until uh, 2951 of the Third Age, when Aragorn turned 21 and was told of his heritage by Elrond. Yeah, this is when Aragorn leaves Rivendell to go assume his role as chieftain of the Dúnedain, and he goes and 
you know, has adventures and he journeys Aragorns. throughout Middle Earth. Yeah, he Aragorn shit. He, he Aragorns. This is what they do. That's what he does, baby. So in about the year 2984, thereabouts of the Third Age, this is when Gil Rain uh, leaves Rivendell and she goes and returns to Eriador to live out the rest of her life with her people there. That's where she's from. Yeah, there's Dunedain scattered all, out, all throughout Ari- yeah. Eriador for sure. Sometime during the year... Third Age 3006, Aragorn visits his mother for the last time, and she prophesizes her own death. Yeah, and in a way, she kind of prophesizes Aaron, uh, Aragorn's future role as king in his, in his coronation and the revitalization of the Dúnedain. She kind of hints at it. Kind of hints at it all. We got an excerpt uh, read by Joel about that. On a time when Aragorn had returned to the north, he visited Gael Ray and his mother, and she said to him before he went, this is our last parting, Estelle, my son. I am aged by care, even as one of lesser men. And now that it draws near, I cannot face the darkness of our time that gathers upon Middle-earth. I shall leave it soon. Aragorn tried to comfort her, saying, Yet there may be light beyond the darkness, and if so, I would have you see it and be glad. But she answered only with this Lenod. Onen, ye Estelle, edain. Uchebin Estelanamin, I give hope to the Dunedain, I have kept none for myself. And Aragorn went away heavy of heart, and Gilrayan died before the next spring. Yes, and uh, as it says in the end there, yes, this was fulfilled in the year 3007 of the Third Age, when Gilrayan indeed dies at the age of 100 years old, very young for a Dunedain. Very young for a Dunedain. I initially I saw the age 100 and I was like, oh, she was old. But no, she was a Dunedain. That no. was very young. And that's why she said I have aged even as one of, of the uh, lesser men. Mm-hmm. We don't like, we've talked previously also, we don't like using the term. We don't like that term. Lesser men. Yeah. Even though we love the Dunedain and they're the best, we don't like to use the term lesser men. No. M- Middlemen. I'll accept that term. Yeah. Middlemen is good. And after this, Aragorn also reassumes uh, his role as chieftain of the Dunedain. And on May 1st, TA3019, he is crowned king of Gondor, reuniting the two kingdoms and reviving the Dunedain culture. Yay! Yeah, as she kind of hinted at, she said she gave all of her hope to the Dunedain. Aragorn's name is Hope. Aragorn's name is Hope, you guys. He has kept none for herself. Kind of like Feanor's mom a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, I... I you know, I never really drew those similarities before. That's a yeah. good point. That's a very yeah. good point. So this is a fun one. This next uh, prophecy we got here. Yeah. So the next one on our list is uh, the prophecy. It's actually a song. It's called The King Beneath the Mountains. Yes, yes, yes. And so this prophecy is concerning the song called The King Beneath the Mountains, which is a song about the dwarven king of Erebor. And this song is sung, we hear it, at least the audience, we hear it sung by the people of Lake Town in The Hobbit. And this is upon the arrival of Thorin Oak and Shield and Comf- Company. And it's basically just a song about uh, a prophecy that they have about the return of the king under the mountain. And uh, it's it goes a little something like this. The king beneath the mountains, the king of carven stone, the lord of silver fountains shall come into his own. His crown shall be upholden, his harp shall be restrung, his hall shall echo golden to songs of your resung. The wood shall wave on mountains, the grass beneath the sun, the wealth shall flow in fountains, the rivers golden run, the stream shall run in gladness, the lake shall shine and burn, all sorrows fail in sadness, 
at Kingdom at the Mountain King's return. Yeah, so basically they're just uh, foretelling the return of the king after, you know, the kingdom fell from the coming of the dragon Smaug. Yeah. And technically this prophecy was fulfilled twofold in kind of a good way and a bad way. Indeed. <laughs> so as we know, the king under the mountain did return. Thorin does come back when, you know, during the Hobbit, during the quest for Erebor, and both Dale and Lake Town, they did prosper in the years after. But the lake also literally did shine and burn when Smog the Dragon attacked and destroyed friggin' Lake Town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that those last couple lines, you know, shall run with gladness, shall shine the lake shall shine and burn. Yeah. It did shine and burn. Oh yes it did. Just not in a very good way. I, I don't know. I really I really loved that. I love the, the the Hobbit and all the little things yeah. in there. And I this like was a, one of the prophecies from there that I enjoyed. And we got to sing it. That was cool. Hell yeah. Uh, so the next prophecy on our list is uh, base is uh, it's the dream of Boromir and Faramir, which I think we can comfortably say is a prophecy. Yes, definitely. And yeah, we've covered this in a, in a few different episodes, but this of course takes place in June of Third Age thirty eighteen when Faramir began to have dreams, speaking of Imladris and Isildur's bane. And on June nineteenth, specifically of thirty eighteen, this is the night before Sauron's infamous attack on on Ithilien. This is when both Faramir and his brother Boromir, they have that same dream, and that dream contains a message. And we got that message brought to you courtesy of Joel. In that dream, I thought the eastern sky grew dark, and there was a growing thunder. But in the west, a pale light lingered, and out of it I heard a voice, remote but clear, crying, Seek for the sword that was broken. In Imladris it dwells. There shall be counsels taken, stronger than Morgul's spells. There shall be shown a token, that doom is near at hand. For a Sealdor's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. Yeah, yeah, and when did this one get fulfilled? But on October 25th of the Third Age 3018, when the Council of Elrond did indeed meet in Rivendell. Yeah, the Council of Elrond, we love this chapter. Oh, um, yeah. So at this meeting, it's made known that Aragorn was now com basically going to be coming into his own as king. And it was decreed that Frodo, the halfling, shall take the ring, Isildur's bane, to Mordor to have it destroyed. Yeah, Aragorn also shows the shards of Narsil at this meeting as well. Yes. So everything is... It's all coming together. Everything comes together. It's it's great. On October 25th, baby. So yeah, the Council of Elrond. Go read that chapter just for fun, guys. It's a really good chapter. Just for funsies. So uh, like Melian of yore, right? We have uh, in the Third Age, Galadriel, who's kind of a similar uh, type character, right? Yeah, yeah. And she. there are a lot of similarities between Galadriel and Melian's characters within kind of like the structure of their tales. Yeah. They perform similar functions. So and wouldn't you know it, right? Galadriel's got some prophecies too. Yeah, I'm sure you guys probably know some of them. Uh, this is the last of the prophecies on our list today, and we're going to cover one of the prophecies. Well, it's kind of a triple prophecy. Sort of, yeah, indeed. That that uh, of, of Galadriel's. So on March 1st, Third Age 3019, the magic year, Gandalf the White meets the three hunters in the forest of Fangorn. Yeah, and this is the first time that they've seen Gandalf since he fell in Moria, and they thought he died. Well, he did die, I guess, and then he comes back. Yeah. But this is the first time they've seen him since then. They had no idea that he's still around. They think he's dead and gone. And Gandalf had just freshly come from Lothlorien, actually. Yeah, and this is when Gandalf recites to them the messages 
or prophecies, prophecies. as we're referring to them as. He recites them the messages that were given to him by Galadriel for each of the three hunters regarding their near futures. And uh, we've got Danny has an excerpt here about these three prophecies she gives. Aragorn. Where now are the Dunedain, Elisar, Elisar? Why do thy kinfolk wander afar? Near is the hour when the lost should come forth, and the gray company ride from the north. But dark is the path appointed for thee. The dead watch the road that leads to the sea. Legolas. Legolas Greenleaf, along under tree. Enjoy thou hast lived, beware of the sea. If thou hearest the cry of the gull on the shore, thy heart shall then rest in the forest no more. Gimli. Lockbearer, wherever thou goest, my thoughts go with thee, but have a, ca- a care to lay thine axe to the right tree. So how, how are all these uh, fulfilled? Yeah, so let's start off with Aragorn's prophecy. So as we kind of talked about already, on March 8th of 3019, Aragorn and their great company, they take the paths of the dead towards the sea. Of course. And while traversing the paths of the dead, they fulfill the prophecy about a descendant of Isildur and calling upon the dead men of Dunharrow to fulfill their oath. Mm-hmm. And this also leads them directly to the mouths of Anduin in the sea, where they are able to intercept the Corsairs of Umbar in time. So that was a that was a pretty important one right there. Right. And for Legolas, he will eventually have the sea longing, right? Right. Because Legolas, is this the first time he's seen the sea? Yeah, so when they finally get to the mouths of Anduin to stop the, to, to intercept the Corsairs, this is the first time he's seen the sea. And he kind of, for the first time, considers like sailing home to Valinor, right? Yeah, like, would yeah. they talk about this in Tolkien, uh, back in the Silmarillion even, the sea longing? Sea longing, right. It's Elves, a are, known. Elves yep. are known to have sea longing when they, they fall in love with the sea. And men too, like Tuor and uh, oh, Arendil. Yeah. Men, yeah, men too as well. Yep. Yeah, It's just something that happens it's when people see I wonder if Tolkien himself really loved the sea. Yeah. We were, t- we were talking to a friend of ours, actually, who had never been to a city called Duluth in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And it's right on the, the, the shores of Lake Superior, right, you guys? It's a beautiful city. But, like, the lake is so vast and so huge. There's a part of you as a Minnesotan that when you get there, you realize there's, like, this maritime culture that we have, too. And you yeah. experience this kind of, like, sea longing, like this at-home feeling you have on the, the shores of Lake Superior. I do distinctly remember that the first time I went up and saw Lake Superior, I was 14, oh, yeah. and I was going with my brother and some of his friends and their dad to go camping. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing Lake Superior for the first time, and being that it's called Lake Superior, I was like, oh, it's a big old lake. Yeah. You know, I've seen lakes before. Yeah. But this was the first time I'd seen a body of water <laughs> that I could not see the other side of. Yes, it's it's a vast freshwater ocean. And I had yeah. no idea it was that large, and I saw that, and for the first time, I was like, this has been here this whole time yeah. in, in Minnesota, right where I live, like just like an hour yeah. or two away from me. And, and just, I had no yeah. idea. And it, I kind of, yeah, I, f- I felt that, the sea longing. All of a sudden, I was like, we are a maritime people. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, all of a sudden you start identifying with these maritime people, <laughs> yeah. even though you've lived in the River Valley your whole life. You know? Yeah, I am a River Valley kid, that's yeah, true. we are. We are river rats. Oh, but let's get to the uh, the third of, of uh, Galadriel's pro- prophecy, is the one for Gimli. Yeah. Uh, and this one's kind of short. Yeah, it's kind of short, because her thing was kind of short, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So she calls him Lockbearer, and that's because he encases the three strains of her hair into a jewel, and they become heirlooms of his house. Yeah, and she says that wherever thou goest, you know, my heart, or my thought goes with thee. 
And, you know, he carries these gems and they do become kind of like trademarks of his house, symbols of luck and good fortune. And also, Gimli is graced with the intercession of Galadriel, which some think may have been why he, of all the dwarves, was accepted into Valinor. Yeah, the only one ever. Because at the end of his life, he and Legolas, they sail over there together. Yeah, my thought goes with the all the way across the sea to Valinor. Yeah, some think that that might be why he was allowed, because no other dwarves are allowed in Valinor. No. Never. Ugh. But he is. And then the last line, uh, be, uh, but have a care not to lay thine axe, to lay thine axe to the right tree. We suspect that has something to do with Lothlorien, but we don't Well, it's. I think it's just kind of a general, like, uh, uh, she taught him respect for the trees and for nature mm. and stuff like that. Yeah, I think. Which him, right. her and Legolas kind of do, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's that's the total. That's the, that's our entire list that we've got for you guys for prophecies today. Yeah. So final thoughts. Yeah, a few final thoughts. Prophecies. They're not only super cool, but they also serve many purposes in Tolkien. Yeah, they often foreshadow important events, uh, and they're often driving forces in Tolkien's tales. And they are above all great concepts, great examples of Tolkien's concept of doom. Yes, this is the Doom trilogy. We're talking about doom, and prophecies are a huge driver of doom. Yeah, and Tolkien very clearly loved prophecies because he included tons of them in his Legendarium. Oh, yeah. I'm sure people listening to this are probably thinking to themselves of prophecies that we didn't cover. There right. are a lot of prophecies, guys. Yeah, and like uh, they're very like fairy tale like or biblical in a sense. Yeah, which makes sense why he'd include them in his tales. I honestly, I love that he includes so many of these prophecies and just these things related to people's doom. It, it I think it just really adds an air, you know, a little something to his stories that, oh, I, don't, yeah. that I don't get from other places. Yeah, exactly. A little urgency to the story in some cases. Yeah, so ultimately, prophecies, we love them, and we think they're super cool. Yeah. But that's all we got for you content-wise today, guys. Thanks for listening to KOT Podcast. Make sure you follow us on all the social medias. Follow us on Twitter at KOT Podcast if you want to follow me. I am at Danny J, J-A-O-I-K-O-T. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com forward slash official keep on token. And while you're there, don't forget to join the KOT Talk group and, uh, you know, jump into some discussions and share some fun memes with us. Uh, and you can also find us on Instagram. That's at keep on token podcast. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, just forward slash keep on token. And also uh, join that Discord server. That's another thing uh, that we're having a lot of fun with is interacting yeah. with you all on Discord. Um, there's a couple posts if you search our, our Twitter with a link on it. We can also, we'll throw out some more for oh, you guys. Yeah. yeah, we'll link the Discord a ton. We have a lot of fun. We live on Discord, so. Yeah, we're literally on there all fun. If you want to talk to us, hop on Discord, guys. Yeah. Also, thank you, thank you so much for giving to the Patreon. Um, and if you want to do that, that's at www.patreon.com slash podcast. Um, subscribe to Patreon to help support us because KOT is a 100% DIY podcast. Yeah, we've said it before and we'll say it again. A large reason that we were able to come back and do this current season is because of our patrons. Oh yeah, definitely 100% for sure. And yeah, because everything is still coming out of pocket, but donations do help mitigate that cost quite a, a bit. A lot, like we said. That's why we can do this. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, this is just to bring you new uh, great content at the same level of quality that you're used to. Um, subscribing can also lock some, uh, unlock some cool exclusive content. Yeah, and also we've had a few people contact us regarding uh, one-time private donations. That is absolutely okay. If you'd like to give us a one-time private, uh, private donation, go ahead and hit us up. Uh, email or message us on social media. We know that Patreon and subscribing isn't uh, 
necessarily everyone's thing. Yeah, not always everyone's thing. Yeah, so if you want to do that, shoot us an email, message. We'll get it taken care of. We have PayPal, other things. We can uh, we can come together. But that's all for today, guys. I'm Danny J. And I'm Jolen. And as always, Please keep, keep on, on talking. Hooray and Tuluva.